Again, good morning, and it's so good to be with you. My name is Brandon. If, uh, if you're new with us, I am uh, the pastor here and have been for just a few weeks, and I love this place, and I hope that uh, you will come to as well, if not already. We're going to be in Mark 16 this morning as we finish our journey through Mark with the greatest ending a story has ever known. It was Thursday night, and I was tucking in our six-year-old and eight-year-old boys. We have a little bit of a routine, and mom was not in there yet. And um, our six-year-old, Lewis, I told him, I said, Lewis, tomorrow, this was Thursday night, I said, tomorrow's a special day. And he said, in his mind, he went straight to special day, which they have in kindergarten every day as they rotate which kindergarten student is the special student of the day. And he said, well, that's impossible, Dad, because we don't have school tomorrow. He was very in tune with not having school the next day. So he was all over that. And I said, well, no, it's a special day for all of us. He said, why is that? I said, well, tomorrow's Good Friday, the day that they killed Jesus. And he said, well, why'd they do that? And I said, well, he upset the wrong people in order to keep his life. And Lewis said, yeah, I remember hearing about that. And he rose again, right? I said, yeah. Three days later, he rose again. And Lewis looked at me and said, you can't do that. And then he thought a little more. And he said, well, I guess you could do that if you have superpowers. It does go against conventional wisdom, doesn't it? Resurrection. We as pastors have, have fought this for years, people who try to come up with Reasons that the story's not as we tell it, but there's another explanation for how Jesus was all of a sudden not dead any longer, but alive. It has helped me recently to consider that while it is miraculous and hard to believe, and the reaction we're going to see in the story today from the eyewitnesses is, does make sense, it has helped me recently to think that the way the story, the way we believe it, it does fit in God's character. And here's what I mean. What we believe about God first is that God created all that is. That out of nothing came everything. And that is miraculous. It is God, God's self, that takes nothingness and makes all that we see, all that we are. In a sense, the story that we come together on Easter morning and remember is God's story set in this context, that God is who takes nothing and makes it something. I almost started dancing. And my wife said, thank goodness he didn't. (laughs) I need to tell you something this morning. 
Now, every week we come together, it's the goal that I tell you this. We pastors really only have one sermon and we package it in a whole lot of different ways. Sorry to let you in on that little secret. But every week we come together and we want to explain in the most beautiful way we know how what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That Jesus came to earth as a baby, born to a very poor family in a very poor village, but born as God's very son. Jesus of Nazareth is God. And we did lead him to the cross, and he did die a sinner's death. And though Lewis was right that it does defy the law of physics, Lewis was also right that God has superpowers. And that is what I have to tell you this morning. That is the announcement that this morning, before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead. Would you turn with me to Mark 16? Starting in verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise and and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Well, looking up, they, they noticed the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Mark's eyewitnesses are Mary, Mary, and Salome. The women who set out to care for Jesus' body. The night before, there probably was a small window where the shops opened after Passover ended where they went out and they were able to buy the spices necessary to take to the tomb the next morning to go and care for Jesus' body. That's where we find ourselves in this story. I'm reminded of the basement at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, the church in which I I was raised in, the church my father pastored for over 30 years. This, This great room, concrete floor room that has seen in its history one million potlucks, many of which, you will not be surprised to know, came after um, a funeral as we buried saint after saint in that wonderful small town. And if you were to happen to walk into one of these meals following a funeral or any other time, any other potluck, you would 
you would see this. You'd see tables set up with a whole lot of food. Chicken and biscuits everywhere. And you would see them near the kitchen where the reinforcements would be. And you would see at least one, but usually more than one, dessert table over here to the right. Always full. Pies for days. And you'll see the drink table next to it. And I can picture it like it was yesterday. And I've been gone a long time. And what you would always see near the tables were the women. At the ready to replenish what might run out. Now, I'm not trying to start a fight this morning about gender roles. Far too many people in this room for me to go there. So, let me be clear. I am trying to be the kind of 21st century husband who does not wash the dishes only when asked. And I am trying to be the kind of husband that does not expect to be thanked when I do. Because those, in fact, are not Leslie Ann's jobs. However, you women have a knack for taking care of things. Especially around the time of death. You tend to remember the practical things, the food, the flowers, the necessities. So I'm not surprised to see these women who love Jesus so much, whom he loved so well, immediately consider we've got to go take care of his body. We've got to go to the tomb with these spices. And when they get there, the whole scene is too much for them to bear. The stone has been rolled away, and instead of Jesus' dead body in the tomb, there is a very alive body, a messenger, who's sitting upright and talking to them. So they were rightfully alarmed under the circumstances, finding them hard to believe, and they didn't immediately go tell everyone they knew what they found out. Jesus was killed because Jesus was a problem for the authorities. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. He, he challenged people's power because he willingly gave up his own power. And he was the only one that really had any power. But it was this entirely new paradigm that was turning everything upside down. And it was taking those who had the power and it was compromising their ability to maintain it. And it scared them, so they killed him. And the women knew this. And they thought, oh my goodness, if Jesus' body is not here, whatever the circumstances are, all of these bad people are going to maybe hold us responsible. We were the first ones here. We'll be the first ones held responsible for what's going on. And they're going to kill us like they killed him. So they were scared. I find comfort in their fear. Because you know what? I'm scared too about a lot of things. My voice was in that video. The women were fearful. But hear me, this news that gave them great like this story, this these circumstances that gave them great fear is the very news that ultimately will relieve their fear that sometime this morning before dawn God raised Jesus from the dead. These women were chosen as the eyewitnesses. They were were called out to tell the resurrection. It marked the beginning of God's victory over death, but it did not mark the culmination of it. George Weigel, contributor to the Wall Street Journal, about a year ago said this about God's kingdom. God's kingdom had come not at the end of time, but within time. And that had changed the texture of both time and history. History continued, but those shaped by Easter became the people who knew how history was going to turn out. Those shaped by Easter became the people who knew how history was going to turn out. So even though we do fear things, followers of Jesus, people of the resurrection, we don't have to fear 
We don't have to be overcome by fear. We too know how history will turn out. I pray that you know I'm trying to remind you weekly how history will turn out. The catch is we have to remember it. And the story that the women will eventually tell, and we know they tell the story because we're here, right? They eventually go tell the story. The church grew. It expanded. And some 2,000 years later, we are here this morning still telling this story, the story that they told. It is our story to tell as well. I remember hearing a story about a family who took a tour of Israel. They went to see the Holy Land. So excited to go, the entire family, husband, wife, couple of kids. And they signed up to take a tour, for a three-day tour, with a young tour guide, a Jewish fellow named Jonah. And Jonah led them all around Israel. And on the third day, Jonah said, I want to take you folks a little different way than than what the tour usually is. I want to go over here and show you something. Is that okay? And the family said, sure. Sounded cool. And so they came up on a hill with with what Jonah described as a little road. You couldn't really see the road, but he said, you got to trust me. There's a road here. And, And the road was a little more pronounced at the time I'm telling you about, and, and, and our soldiers were coming, they thought our soldiers were coming up that road, so the insurgents were coming over the hill the other way, expecting us to be coming up this road, but we anticipated that, and we came from over here, and we snuck up on them, and they had no idea that we were going to be there, and we were able to fend them off that day, and, and, and the father of the family, realizing that there had not been a significant war in Israel for a while, said, Jonah, what are you, are you talking about the war of 48, of 67? And Jonah looked at him and said, no, I'm talking about the Maccabean War. That was 2,000 years ago. And the father said, Jonah, you tell that story as if you were there. And Jonah said, I was. He identified with his people so fervently, so in such a palpable manner that he told a story some 2,000 years old as if it was himself that was there with his people because that story is his story as well. Sometime this morning before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead. And I encourage you this morning to consider this if you have not ever as your story because it is. And go with me for a moment and consider that you too were in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. You too were in Nazareth as he was raised. And you too were at the cross. And you too were at the tomb. We are with Jesus. It is our story to tell. In the next few weeks, if you're new this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I really will be glad if you choose to come back and give it it another shot. Because we're going to be telling our story over the next few weeks and encouraging one another to be people who are apt to tell our story in our lives. We call them gospel conversations. Now, I'm not talking about guerrilla gospel conversations, kind of like the gentleman on the street corner over here in Bellevue who I'm sure he loves the Lord, but he has the sign and he spins it and the sign tells me where I'm going if I don't agree with him. That's not what I'm talking about. That's poor evangelism, in my opinion. Gospel conversations become gospel relationships. Gospel conversations say, come alongside of me because I don't have everything figured out yet, but I am following Jesus who does. Gospel conversations include, yes, telling people that God loves them because that's really good theology. But if you show somebody that God loves you, that can change the world. Many of you know, some of you may know, uh, over the last couple of years I've had the privilege of being in an educational environment 
um, that has, has really pushed me. I have been in several classes concerning healing relationships, particularly across racial, ethnic, socioeconomic lines. I have been faced with the truth in a variety of ways that people in power are super reluctant to give up their power. Super reluctant to relinquish it. And when we look at Jesus, we realize that Jesus was just not that way. Jesus actually received power or utilized his power by giving it up. What has become clear to me this spring is just how slow far too many of us Christians were to realize the evils of the Jim Crow era. In February, I walked arm in arm with my friend, Miss Deborah Berry. There's Miss Deborah right there. We walked across the Edwin Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. This was a few minutes after we had spent all morning with Miss Joyce O'Neill. Joyce O'Neill was a sister in the Lord who knew fear. Miss Joyce, a sage Selma native, met with my group at the Brown Chapel AME Church where each of the marches in 1965 across that bridge, the last one ending in Montgomery, originated from. Brown Chapel AME Church where Malcolm X stood and gave his famous House Negro speech a few weeks before he was assassinated. The Brown Chapel AME Church where Dr. King eventually matriculated to to help galvanize the folks who had been beaten down, shot at, stricken by the community around them when all they wanted, when all they had the audacity to believe in was that equal voting rights should exist in their world for all people. The kind of suffering that should not be, the kind of suffering that that doesn't just cry out for an end, the kind of suffering that cries out for justice. The kind of suffering that cries out just as Jesus cried out on the cross, not, my God, please take me from here, but, my God, please finish this through me. And that's the conviction I heard from Miss Joyce O'Neill that morning in February. God sent Jesus as a baby. And through this, we learn that God is not distant. God sent Jesus to the cross And we learn through that that Jesus suffered. But not so that we would not suffer because we so obviously do suffer. We suffer with one another. We cause one another to suffer. God sent Jesus to the cross to suffer because we already suffer. Jesus suffered because we suffer. And sometime this morning before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead not to take us away from here but precisely for us to be here, to give us life, to be his agents in the world, to stare at injustice squarely in the eye and say no more, to combat it in a way that that believes with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that God will ultimately take care of it and intends to begin that endeavor now through you and me and the Holy Spirit that is alive in us. So let's make it more like it was supposed to be now, church. Resurrection is about life right now. It's an invitation to now live as Jesus lived. And I hope that the church at Harpeth Heights, and I believe that it is because I've witnessed it in the first seven weeks, but I hope that we become more and more a church that helps people to come and follow Jesus because to follow Jesus is to truly be alive, to have gone from death to life right now 
And too often we sign up to follow Jesus because of the threat of what it means to not follow Jesus. I did. I did. I just did. And I talked to my dad about this this week, and it, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But I did. I didn't want to burn in hell. It was compelling. But I missed out on the full story just focusing on that part of the story because I'm not saved for where God doesn't want me to be. I'm saved for who God wants me to be and what God has in store for us to do here. If our motivation is a threat, then at best I believe we become attenders of church who do not hide the gospel in our heart and transform the world through it. We will at best be attenders who are motivated by conforming to what too often was bad theology and what might happen if we don't conform to that bad theology And don't attend church. Rather than allowing our common bond to be the very life of Jesus Christ. To help us move from being just attenders of church. To people who believe that God intends to transform the world through us. Who love everyone. Especially our enemies. Who who love one another because we see one another. Even the most marginalized among us. Because that is who Jesus is. Even today. Because while silence fell on God. fell from God on Jesus on Good Friday, on the morning of the third day, this morning, before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead. You see, racism will, will not forever be so pervasive because God created and loves all people equally and someday our eyes will fully see that all people are beautiful. All people. And immigrants and refugees, they won't always be seen as threats because God does not view them that way and is training our eyes to see them differently. And someday we will fully understand that there is enough food and there is enough money to go around. But that won't be fully realized until Jesus returns again. We won't fully realize this until Jesus comes again. And until then, we have been called out as the women were at the tomb to go and tell and to help transform people with this story that is not a threat, but is a ticket into a victorious life through Jesus. And then as we transform people, they go and help transform more people until Jesus comes again. And what I'm describing to you is, is not, it's, it, yes, at times the church has been seen as crazy and lunatics and people who just want to go out and tell people about Jesus. But, but it really is the power of God for salvation, for us to hide in our heart in a sense that allows us, causes us to just not be able to keep it to ourselves until Jesus comes again. Because... Jesus is coming again. On the third attempt, Miss Joyce O'Neill and and, and many others, led by Dr. King, they marched the entire 57 miles all the way to Montgomery, and they marched straight up to the city, to the Capitol building, the state Capitol building there in downtown Montgomery. And Dr. King stood on the bottom step, not the top step where Jefferson Davis would give his speeches, but Dr. King was relegated to the bottom step. And he said these words that you may find familiar. Somebody's asking, when will the radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal bosom of this lonely night? It's beautiful. How long will justice be crucified and truth bear it? I come to say to you today, it will not be long because truth crushed to the earth will rise again. 
How long? Not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long, because Dr. King said, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I remind you, church, of your story that this morning, before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead. So from here, we are encouraged, we are filled with the very power of God to go and be the church because Jesus is alive. And we do so in what we understand as the meantime, the time where, where sin and death is still pervasive, where, where the world is still broken and we have questions about why things are the way they are at the times they are and we suffer from sickness and we have questions. But Easter people, we are not people who do not have the answer to that question. We do. The answer is that this morning before dawn, God raised Jesus from the dead and God will send Jesus again. And until then, we wait. But we do not wait as those who have no hope. As the band comes back up, we... We want you to consider this morning what that hope might look like for you. Perhaps you know the story and you've fallen away. Perhaps this is one of the first times you've, you've heard it. We covet the opportunity to continue this conversation with you because we believe that Jesus will change your life. We believe that God is calling each of us to hide the truth of the gospel in our heart, to believe that God is making all things new already and that there will come a day when that will be done. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus of Nazareth, who we believe is God, who God raised from the dead this morning, is Lord. Dear Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you, you move in and amongst us and you draw us to yourself. And I pray for folks this morning in this room that they would be able to, to lean into what they're feeling, that they may feel your presence and seek to respond to it. Lord, Cast your brokenness aside. Give us your eyes and, and, and ears to, to recognize it and push against it. Have your way with us. Make this place more like you originally intended for it to be. In your son's name we ask all these things. Amen.